At photographycourse.net, you'll be able to swap your expertise with other photographers, make light instead of wishing for it, expand your portfolio, and receive feedback from professionals, all of which will develop your artistic eye. Photographycourse.net offers an abundance of premium courses and challenges for participants at every stage of their journey, from technical settings for portrait photography, to landscape composition tricks, to how to start your own photography business, we have everything you need to start shooting confidently. You can work at a pace that suits you. Our 52-week project challenge will provide you with the educational resources, encouragement, and support that you need to take great photographs every week. You can join us at any time as our themes are evergreen. You can also start by shooting every day and learning something new with our 365 Days of Photography course. Led by an industry expert who has mentored over 10,000 students, this course will help you take your photography skills to the next level with daily, bite-sized videos. Throughout the process of learning, you'll have access to a community that will provide you with inspiration and motivation. Get encouragement from other photographers every single day. Our current limited time offer comes with a special discount code exclusive to the listeners of this podcast. Get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Claim this discount by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join photographycourse.net and capture more than just a moment. This episode is sponsored by photographycourse.net. Our 365 Days of Photography course is now live. This is an amazing opportunity for you to grow as a photographer. My teammate, Kevin LJ, has produced this course in a step-by-step -step format, which is very easy to follow. He presents it in bite-sized lessons, each with a practical challenge. You'll learn and practice a new aspect of photography every single day. If you've been wondering how you can improve your photography without having to commit time to long lessons, this is the course for you. We've designed each lesson to be around five minutes long, and you can spend as much time on the challenges as you like. There's also a friendly forum where you can share the photos you take and get constructive feedback from others on the course. Kevin's professional photography experience is extensive. He covers not only photography essentials, but also many genres of photography throughout the course. You will learn far more about photography than simply how to use your camera. For our listeners, we are offering a very special discounted price of $99 instead of the launch price, which is $149. The final price will soon be $365, so make sure to take advantage of this great deal today. Go to greatbigphotographyworld.com slash 365 to claim your discount. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. In this episode, I talk to filmmaker Jackson Kingsley. If you watched National Geographic's mini-documentary about a luxury ski resort in North Korea, then guess what? You're already familiar with his work. He's a talented filmmaker who has produced all kinds of amazing content. He's also very talented when it comes to marketing and networking. We talk about all of these things and more in this interview. Please enjoy. Hey, Jackson. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Please introduce yourself to the listeners. Hi, Taya. Thanks very much for having me on really appreciate it and hello everyone um so yeah i'm i'm jackson i'm a filmmaker i've been a filmmaker for around 11 years now and i've had a pretty cool uh set of experiences being able to travel the world making films for 
companies like National Geographic, Discovery Channel, and Sony, Airbnb. And then more recently, I've been getting into the business side of video production and teaching strategy to filmmakers and creatives, helping people uh, grow their own businesses and be able to land clients, charge the rates they deserve, and uh, just sort of put the business systems in place so that they can do the work that they love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really cool introduction. And it seems like you've had so many interesting experiences as a filmmaker. And this photography podcast is obviously about photography, but I think it's also important to highlight filmmaking and cinematography and things like that, because it can really broaden your horizons as a photographer. So I think it's cool that you're on the podcast and thank you for agreeing to be on it. Awesome. Thank you. What camera slash video equipment do you use? So I have quite a funny approach to cameras and um, it really stems from the whole idea that the concept and what I've been training myself over for the last few years is to have a business centered, business first approach to everything. And I used to own several cameras and my, my experience was that when I owned cameras, I ended up taking on all sorts of jobs to pay them off. And um, I changed the way I approach business um, a few years ago and decided that I wasn't going to own any camera bodies and that I was only going to rent. And it forced me to really think about the jobs that I was going to take on. And it forced me to charge properly for, uh, for camera rental. So instead of being able to tell clients that I can do stuff for free, um, you know, chucking the camera gear and just charge day rate, that kind of thing. Uh, it forced me to start thinking about um, how I price my services and how I approach clients and the jobs that I take on. So I'm afraid I'm not I'm not much of a <laughs> camera nerd in terms of, you know, having loads of camera bodies and loads of exciting equipment. I do have uh, lenses and tripods and, and lights and things. Um, but in terms of camera bodies, I, uh, I'll always rent depending on the job. And uh, I'd say at the moment, if I had to pick a favorite, um, I love working with the Sony cameras like the Sony FS7 and then more recently the Sony FX9 and FX6. Yeah, I like that approach. Actually, I don't use a lot of equipment myself. And if I could, I would rent, I think, all the time because then it's, you know, you have so many more options. And I think it's a smarter choice if if you're in a business like filmmaking, especially. So that's cool. Yeah, I just uh, always wanted to avoid the the trap that I got into early on, which was getting into a lot of debt buying camera equipment and then struggling to pay it off. And so it was really, it was a bit of a mindset shift. And also you just get to, you know, do uh, better work because you can pick the best camera for any given job. You're not having to use what you've got, you know, if it's not appropriate for the job. Exactly. You can be really, really flexible. Yeah, I think it's a good tip for photographers who feel like they have to pay a lot of money for equipment. If you have the opportunity to rent equipment, then by all means do it, because then you can improve the way that you work with different kinds of equipment and and just be more flexible as a photographer. That's cool. Yeah. And all, by all means, try and land the job first, build a relationship with the client, find out what the work is, and then look into renting the equipment. There's no need to go and buy lots of kit to become a, a filmmaker, especially um, I think similar rules apply to photography. You'll obviously want to have an understanding of how to use cameras and create great images, but I don't think it's necessary to go investing in really expensive equipment early on. I think if you put the business first and landing the gigs first, then you can put yourself in a much better position. 
Yeah, I agree with you. And in my opinion, if you have a portfolio and people can see and potential clients can see that you can do the work, then they're not going to ask you what kind of equipment do you have? You know, it's, it's not their priority. I think it's more your talent and what you can provide them with. So. Oh, exactly. I think so many people worry about what the client's going to think of what equipment you're using. And they assume that the client's going to be asking, you know, what camera are you going to bring to the shoot? But at the end of the day, none of that really matters. All that matters is the result that you can create. And if you can get great results, then, you know, the client doesn't care what you use. That's right. That's right. And as we just discussed, filmmaking and photography are pretty similar in some ways. Do you ever take photographs on location or do you prefer using your video equipment at all times? I'm I'm a bit guilty now of just using an iPhone for all my location stuff. <laughs> just it's you know the, the camera I've got on me at all times and it's so convenient. And I've not owned a DSLR for quite some time now. So most of my images are from the video camera. But when I can, I will budget in hiring a photographer for a shoot so we can get some great behind the scenes stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned having an iPhone. A lot of people who are listening to the podcast, they specialize in mobile photography. So do you have any tips for taking great photos on your phone? Yeah, well, I think all the same principles apply um, as to using any camera, you know, great composition, uh, putting depth in the frame and lighting. Uh, one of the things that is uh, really interesting, particularly with film, and it may apply to photography as well, is that a great image taken on a 50,000 pound red camera or a thousand pound iPhone, if the lighting is good and the composition is good, sometimes you just can't tell the difference between the two. Mm. So, you know, at the end of the day, if you can understand the basic principles of composition, lighting, um, depth, and then, you know, you, you kind of equipping yourself to create great photos, regardless of what you're using. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's very uplifting for myself and a lot of people because, yeah, sometimes you feel like you have to have the best equipment with as many megapixels as possible, but that's really not the case because you just need to have the talent and the and the persistence to improve your skills. Yeah. And the, the other thing as well is that there's a lot of TV shows and feature films that are using cameras like the Canon 5D Mark II mm -hmm. alongside, uh, you know, 50 and 100,000 pound cinema cameras and in the cinema people don't notice the difference so you got i think it was uh the tv show house was one of the first to film an entire episode on the canon 5d mark ii and since then all sorts of uh big feature films including i think it was iron man um used a lot of 5d so you know don't worry about having the most expensive equipment it's it's how you use it not what you have Mm -hmm, exactly, exactly. And I have the 5D Mark II, actually, so it's cool to know that all those uh, cool. show films <laughs> were made using that camera. That's amazing. Yeah. On your YouTube channel, you often talk about rates and having the right mindset in the business. In my experience, this is something photographers struggle with a lot because a lot of people are afraid of asking for more money. They don't want to scare potential clients off and so on and so forth. What advice would you give to those people? Great question. And I'd say that the clients who don't want to pay the higher rates aren't the kind of clients that you want. Mm -hmm. And you're better off taking a quality over quantity approach. And something that I say to all my students is that with, with filmmaking especially, and I think the same applies to photography, the job takes equally long to do, almost equally long to do, regardless of how well it's paid. So if you want to produce a good video or produce a good photograph, 
it's going to take a equal amount of admin work and pre-production and shooting and, and editing, whether it's paid £100 or £5,000. And when you start taking on loads of low-budget jobs, you end up just working yourself into the ground and you then kind of compromise your ability and the time that you would have otherwise to be going out and working on landing those higher paying gigs. So there's not just the cost of doing the job, there's the opportunity cost, there's the missed opportunity of not being able to focus on building those bigger relationships and landing those higher paying jobs. So I think think carefully about the small jobs that you take on. I mean, maybe to begin with, it's it's useful to build up a portfolio, but then as soon as possible, start thinking about what kind of clients you really want to be working with and what kind of rates you want to be charging. And the, the first step to any of it is making sure you've got it written down and you've got a good understanding of what it is you want. Because I think a lot of people, they just kind of go with the flow. They go with the market rate. People tell them that, you know, a photographer or a filmmaker should be charging 200 pound or 300 or 400 pound a day. And they just kind of go with that without giving it much thought. Mm-hmm. And uh, you don't have to do that. You can, um, you can create your own plan and figure out your own pricing strategies. That's a lot of what I've been teaching people is how to price their services, particularly in relation to pricing it based on value. I strongly recommend checking out the uh, pricing strategy called results-based pricing, which, uh, which is a way of pricing a service based on the value that you create for the client instead of just using a, an arbitrary day rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all very good advice. And I think it's also a matter of believing that you deserve the amount of money that you would like to get paid because sometimes it's, you know, photographers and filmmakers, I'm sure, struggle with as well. Uh, is Do I deserve this money or there are better artists out there than than me and maybe they deserve the money and you know i think it's like a sense of uh just insecurity sometimes especially for beginners so, yeah. I, I think for any creative profession it's the there's a similar struggle uh but mindset is huge and for most people it just comes with experience you you know you, you do a job and then another job and you kind of start to build confidence and belief in in your own abilities um but you know you, you just got to value yourself and your worth and value your time and really if you can produce something that the client's happy with at the end of the day it's about the client it's not about your kind of your just your creative you know you might think that you can do something uh incredible you'll have a a vision of perfection for your photography work but if you're always following that vision rather than what the client wants then you'll always feel like you're not good enough but if you can satisfy the client and you can get the result that they want, then that's what you should be striving towards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very interesting perspective because as artists, we like to get lost in our own heads sometimes and overthink. But if you work for something, for a client, then it's easier to have the end result that is very clear in your head and helps you build your confidence. Yeah, that's good advice. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think as well, it comes down to what you believe your business should be like and what you believe work should be and it's it's it'll be largely based on your your history and your you know maybe your upbringing and what your parents taught you and if you believe that work should be difficult and business should be difficult then you'll respond accordingly and you'll probably make it difficult um if you believe that it should be easy 
and that you know creative work should be fun and that you don't have to constantly strive to perfection then you know you'll, you'll make your life a lot easier so your beliefs and your values particularly around creative work and business are really important so i always suggest to students to to one exercise is to have a think about put yourself in a situation where you're sat down with a prospective client and it comes to that moment of saying uh, they, they ask you how much is this going to cost and then visualize yourself saying double the amount that you're comfortable with so yeah. if you're the most you've ever charged is a thousand pounds visualize in your mind that you say two thousand pounds and really think about the thoughts and emotions that go through you through your mind at that time and then write them down and think about what the underlying beliefs are you know what uh, beliefs do you have, have about money and about business that you are reflecting on the client and when you're sat there in those meetings it's not right to inflict your beliefs about money onto the client you know if the client is willing to pay ten thousand pounds then you should let them. But what I see so often is because of people's own beliefs about what money is and what is a lot of money, they'll self-sabotage. They'll sit there and they'll be like, oh, that, that's a lot, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be charging that much. Is it worth it? But that's for the client to decide. You know, the client's the one who will decide whether or not that's a lot of money. And I've found that working with big businesses especially, you know, my, my idea of a lot of money might be a few thousand pounds, but to a large corporation, you know, that, that might be coffee money. Uh, they, they might be able and willing to pay 10, 20, 30,000 pounds. And you've got to let them do that without inflicting your own beliefs about money, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. You should be a therapist because this has a very strong psychological factor to it as well. <laughs> it really does. I think, I think price has a lot of, there's a, there's a lot of interesting psychological ideas and there's a lot that goes on behind pricing it's a fascinating topic there are a lot of great books out there on on pricing and if it's a topic you're interested in then i suggest you know reading up on it because um yeah the the fascinating thing is that money never changes you know a, a 20 pound note is always a 20 pound note but to a million different people it means a million different things to some people it's a lot of money to some people it's nothing at all so you know the psychology of money is really fascinating yeah, I agree with you. And I like what you said about self-sabotaging because, yeah, especially if you're just starting out and you're just starting to work with clients who are willing to pay you money, sometimes you might self-sabotage and just ruin the situation by assuming that you deserve less than what you want or what you think you should have. And yeah, it's a, it's a very vicious cycle. So this is a great perspective that you've given the podcast. Thank you. Good. Photographycourse.net is a place where you can find an abundance of photography inspiration in different forms like premium courses, articles, video tutorials, editing resources, and much more. We have a thriving community where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, and discover new ideas every single day. Here is a message from one of our top community members, Robert Morton. Hi, my name is Rob. I specialize in wildlife photography and landscape photography. I'm a member of photographycourse.net online community. I like the community because you get some fantastic ideas and some great feedback. So take your photography to the next level by clicking the link in the description. That's what I did and I haven't looked back. 
you want to join our online community, go to photographycourse.net and enter the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member. You have over a decade of filmmaking experience. What is the most important lesson you've learned so far? Good question. And <laughs> tough question. I would say, I'd say the greatest lesson that I've learned is to put business first. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean you have to compromise your creative vision. And that doesn't mean you have to do any lesser quality work. When you put the business side first, you enable yourself to do better work. You equip yourself with the tools and knowledge to be able to charge what you're worth. And in return, you can charge more and work on bigger, more exciting projects, have more impact and overall just have a more fulfilling career. Mm -hmm. mm, that's good. And it's a good approach because a lot of creative people, they worry that if they get into the business side of things, then they will lose their inspiration or their creativity. How do you deal with that? Yeah, that's a good, good point. And I'd say that learning to market and sell yourself doesn't mean that you are kind of selling out. A lot of people have a really bad relationship with sales and the word sales. They think of salesy and salesman. But the reality is that being able to market and sell yourself is giving you the ability to do what you want when you want. It's enabling you to work on bigger, more exciting, better paying jobs. So when you put the business first, yeah, you don't have to compromise any other areas of your creative work. It's just, uh, it's just a mindset shift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. And do you have any personal projects that you're working on right now that have nothing to do with, with business? Any personal projects? Ooh, there's a, there's a couple of TV series that I'm developing at the moment. And I would say they're a lot less about the business side of it and more about following my values and the things that excite me. One is uh, extreme sports documentary. And the other is about climate change and wildlife. So those aren't about the money. They're more about uh, doing something that is going to be incredibly rewarding. And I love creating particularly documentary work that, that makes a great point and educates people and informs people and inspires people to take action. That's really exciting. I wish you the best of luck with those projects. They sound really cool. Thank you. And how involved are you in those? I mean, are you just in charge of filmmaking or are you also in charge of the script and research? And I'm curious to know more about that. Yeah, well, directing and producing both of them. Mm -hmm. um, one of them, there's a co-producer. Another, there's a, on the other one, there's a co-director. And it, it's a case of when producing a, a show like that, working from the ground up, both on both occasions has been over a year of pre-production, of planning, script writing, putting together all the logistics and it's it's usually a, a group effort <laughs> the wildlife and climate change show that i'm putting together at the moment i've got a co-producer and we're doing zoom calls every single week we're reaching out to literally hundreds of organizations and we're putting together logistics and so, so the idea for this particular show is that we're going to be sailing up the west coast of england over the uh, of the UK over the course of a month, going from Cornwall up to the northernmost point of Scotland and stopping off and looking at all the incredible wildlife and conservation work that's going on. 
And so there's a huge amount of planning that goes into uh, just just figuring out the timings and having uh, places to stop off, stop off at and just equipping the crew with everything that they need and the safety elements and the story elements. So with uh, with filmmaking, the pre-production is usually about 80% of the work. The production is, uh, is just a, a small speck in comparison. So yeah, for the most part, the big projects I work on, it's the producing that is the really heavy element uh but it's you know the, the production part is always fun but that's um surprisingly not the hardest part our 365 days of photography course is the ultimate learning experience for new photographers and even those with some experience this course presented in bite-sized lessons teaches you step by step the essentials of photography and beyond get your discount code by visiting greatbigphotographyworld.com/365 Mm, yeah, that is a surprise. Yeah, but it must feel like quite a big adventure, right, for you in every aspect of the, of the process. Huge adventure, yeah. And there's so many unknowns. I mean, I've I've never sailed a boat before, so we're having to find qualified crew, and the yeah, just the whole thing could fall apart purely based on weather. So um, yeah, putting together something like that is really exciting, super challenging, but. At the end of the day, if we pull it off, then it will be incredibly rewarding. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, it's exciting. I look forward to finding out more about it. Yeah, I'll be sharing a lot more about that on, uh, particularly on Instagram in in the next couple of months. So we're planning on sailing in October, and on the build up to that, we'll be uh, releasing loads of behind the scenes content and just uh, showing what goes into making a show like that. So it's as much about the finished production as it is about bringing people along and showing everyone uh, what goes into a production. Okay, awesome. Then I'll share a link to your Instagram in the show notes so people can check out your work there. Cool. A few years ago, you filmed in North Korea for National Geographic. That must have been quite an unforgettable experience. Filming in a new place is daunting all on its own, but you had to do something that very few people get to do. What was that experience like for you as a filmmaker? Yeah, it was one of the most unusual and crazy experiences for sure. It uh, it all happened very quickly. That, funnily enough, didn't involve much pre-production. It was uh, it was a case of North Korea. Uh, one of, one of the agencies that we're working with just said, uh, "Right, you've got. We're leaving in two weeks. If your visas get approved and your background checks are passed, then then you're going in two weeks." And that was all just part of the unusual North Korean process. Um, the start of many unusual things that happened over the following weeks. But yeah, we flew out to North Korea and um, had had very little time to prepare. But the basis of it was that North Korea had just built a new ski resort. And you wouldn't think of North Korea as the place to go skiing. Mm -hmm. But they invested an insane amount of money and resources into building what I can only describe as a European or Swiss sort of style ski resort in the middle of the mountains in the middle of North Korea. And so with my friend, who's a professional snowboarder, he does a lot of events and stunts and, um, you know, he was kind of the, the, the gateway, the, the way in, um, we were allowed to film there for a week and we got a full tour of the country. We got to see Pyongyang, the capital city, the demilitarized zone, which borders with South Korea, the most heavily militarized border in the, in the world. And uh, then the ski resort 
And over the duration of the whole trip, we had two guides with us at all times and a driver, literally just the two of us with three North Koreans accompanying us the entire way. We weren't allowed to leave their site except uh, when we're in the hotel. And uh, at first, particularly when we landed a few days previously, there had been a lot of uh, missile tests and there were the tensions between North Korea and the US were, I think, probably higher than they'd ever been. And we were very nervous when we landed. Everyone was talking about it. People were telling us not to go. And of course, there was the story of Ottoman Wombier, the US student who supposedly stole a poster there. And he was imprisoned and then sent back in a coma to the US a few years later and then died, which is incredibly sad. And um, we had stories like that uh, haunting us when we went over there. And for the first couple of days, especially, we were incredibly nervous. And um, I, th I think the realization was after after a few days was that really the people there were all lovely, um, especially our guides. And they wanted to create a good image for North Korea, I think, as any country would if you were to visit as a tourist. And um, yeah, the, the stories of North Korea in terms of everything there being fake, uh, that, I think that's one of the big things that people think of when they watch the vice documentaries and things is that you know the, the everything all the shops are fake all the shopkeepers are uh, not real or whatever um the reality is that there's just so few tourists visiting the country that when you go to a shop they have to open it especially for you your guides call ahead and tell the shopkeeper that someone's you know tourists are coming to visit which is a really bizarre experience and the same applied for restaurants too um, but everyone we met was lovely and what we were shown was um, an incredible city. But all the time we were very aware that we were only being shown a tiny fragment of a much bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And the I think it's less than 1% of the population. I think it's 24 million in North Korea, but I think less than 1% of the population live in Pyongyang. And that is the only part of North Korea that I, I think it's the only part of North Korea with electricity, bar maybe the ski resort and uh, maybe one or two other places. So when you're flying in there, it's quite a sight because of the whole country. There's just one city lit up, and in the centre of that city, there's a, a restaurant with a it's a revolving restaurant at the top. So at night you can sit at the top and you can look over the city as the restaurant turns around and just see just complete blackness beyond complete darkness beyond the city um so it was just one unusual experience after another and as i say we were very aware of the fact that uh, we were only being shown a tiny portion of a much bigger picture and they're you know that they were doing their best to show us a good experience and they wanted to attract more tourists to the country and so as a filmmaker i'd say the biggest challenge was creating a balanced portrait a balanced story of the reality of it because we were only being shown the good things and obviously it wouldn't be right to just create a super positive travel film for north korea mm -hmm. uh, it would effectively be a propaganda piece so the greatest challenge for me was having all this footage of the wonderful parts of north korea but then also trying to tell the story 
of the reality of the situation as well. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing all those stories. It sounds like a movie, honestly. It's so incredible. Yeah, well, hopefully the film does it justice. <laughs> um, I, you can probably see that while watching the film, there are a lot of things that we couldn't show. And it was a lot about reading between the lines. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I enjoyed watching that documentary. I had a lot of fun seeing the different side of North Korea. And it was very interesting to, yeah, to, to know that you were the one filming it. Because when I was watching it, as I told you earlier, I had no idea that you had filmed it. But then I read in the description uh, that it was you who had filmed it. So I was really mind blown. And I immediately wanted to talk about it. <laughs> we were talking about uh, what cameras you need earlier as well. And uh, that was filmed on a Sony a7s mark ii a mm -hmm. uh, tiny little camera it's a, it's a good camera but not exactly the equipment that you choose for um a production for national geographic but we had to work with what we had so i think there was a maybe a bit of gopro in there and a, a few iphone shots too but you know at the end of the day that was the only camera that we could bring we couldn't bring you know big equipment in and we couldn't bring any lighting in so yeah, you got to work with what you've got. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. And I can imagine how stressful it was for you because I mean, if you don't even consider the fact that you were in a country that very few people get to visit anyway, you also didn't have much time to prepare, right? So were you nervous about figuring out what to film or did you ever get like analysis paralysis when it came to filming certain things? Um, I think that's the fun part of being a documentary filmmaker is that you just got to work with what you've got in the mm -hmm. moment. And there's only so much planning that you can do in a lot of scenarios. And you got to kind of fall back on your training and just think about how you can build a story and build a sequence out of what you've got in front of you. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when we, uh, when we arrived in the airport, just a funny thing about equipment. When we arrived in the airport, I had a backpack full of camera gear all chucked in there in a hurry. And I remember going through security and they were taking each piece out bit by bit and asking me what it was. And <laughs> so some of the things, like my my voice recorder, looked like a taser. And uh, they, they gave me some funny looks. And I had to um, go and get help from a translator to explain what the equipment was because it looked like they weren't going to let me keep it or let me into the country. <laughs> wow, that is so surreal. <laughs> yeah, voice recorders do look like tasers also. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, interesting. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. That's a very unique experience that you had. And I'm glad that everything went uh, went well and nobody was hurt in the process. So. Yeah. <laughs> You've also worked for Animal Planet and Discovery and a bunch of other big organizations. Do you have any tips for filmmakers or photographers who want to collaborate with successful organizations? Yeah, good question. So with bigger organizations, I'd say the key thing to focus on is the relationship building and identifying who those decision makers are, the people who are responsible for effectively the people who'd hire you for those jobs. And LinkedIn is a great tool for doing that. You can learn a lot about an organization and who those decision makers are and reach out to them on LinkedIn or by email. But I think uh, it's important not to get analysis paralysis and don't overthink these things just uh, for big organizations you've got to look at it like a numbers game the 
it's always going to be harder to reach the decision maker at a big organization just because of all the gatekeepers and receptionists and people that you've got to get through. And it's also largely a case of timing. So uh, don't give up. Just keep persisting. Keep reaching out to those people. And eventually, you'll get the timing right. And they'll be looking for someone. And there'll be a job opening. When I was looking for work as a shooting producer, director, like the work I was doing with Animal Planet, I was just emailing hundreds of production companies. And uh, eventually, one of them got back to me and said, hey, we've got a opening in Denver, Colorado. And I had an incredible job opportunity out there. So really, it is just a a case of of timing and persistence. That's the best advice I can give on that. Yeah, I agree with you. And LinkedIn is such a great website in general. I mean, sure, it's not fun like Instagram, but it's more just the business side of things. And it's a great place to find all kinds of people to connect with. So yeah, it's, it's very good advice. Yeah, I'd say it's probably one of the most useful business tools as a creative, if you're looking to, do, uh, especially to do B2B work and you want to find decision makers, then LinkedIn is the place to go. I'd say Instagram, you can occasionally find people on there, um, but it's more sort of B2C. So LinkedIn is your friend and it's worth building out your portfolio on there as if it's your CV and then just go to town on sending those connect requests to people and uh, just connect with as many decision makers and um, people that you aspire to to be like and people that you aspire to work with just connect with all of them and spark up conversations i think one of the biggest uh, bits of advice i can give is that relate uh, business is all about relationships and you might have heard the saying it's more about who you know than what you know mm-hmm. and while what you know is important who you know is what will get you the job so having those uh, those creative skills, creative and technical skills, that's important, but that's something that you can and you will learn. But building those relationships is where most people struggle. So if you can just focus on being authentic, being yourself, and just reaching out to people in a non-salesy way, it's telling people what you do um, and showing a genuine interest in them and their business, then that would get you a really long way. Mm, thank you. That's really inspiring. I'm going to go to LinkedIn right after this call and improve my profile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's a, I mean, it's so popular, but it's also underrated when it comes to photography, I believe, because I mean, photography is so visual, you'd think that Instagram is the best place to to go. But LinkedIn is the place where you can connect with people and with professionals and huge companies. So yeah. Yeah, I'd say that on LinkedIn, your photography probably ends up getting lost in a sea of other great photography, and it's incredibly hard to stand out. Whereas if you're putting the business side first, and you're just going on LinkedIn, and you're reaching out to people, then that's going to give you an edge rather than focusing on just trying to, you know, tweak your portfolio slightly, focus on those relationships instead. That's right. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, my last question for you is uh, unusual in the sense that I usually ask uh, photographers what the one thing they'd like to achieve in the in the big photography world is. So for you, I'll tweak the question a bit. So Jackson, what is the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big filmmaking world? <laughs> That's such a hard question. But I think it would be uh, fully developing and seeing through to the end 
a TV series on a topic that I really care about. And I think at the moment this year, that's what I'm focusing on, doing this TV series on climate change and wildlife. And I'd love to see that through and I'd love to get that picked up by uh, by a big broadcaster. But we'll, we'll see what happens. There are, there are a lot of unknowns. So um, that's what I'm pushing for at the moment. And that's what I'd love to do. It's amazing. And it's very interesting that you already have this goal that you're already working on. That must be very encouraging for you. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's sort of always nice to be working on things that you're truly passionate about and just excited to get up and work on. And uh, it, I'm, I'm, I just say that the, the people who do that, who focus on the things that they're excited about, those people tend to do well and those projects tend to succeed. So I'm hoping that's the case with this. I hope so too. And Taxon, thank you so much for sharing so much valuable advice with me and the listeners. I learned a lot about filmmaking and uh, was very excited to learn more about North Korea and all your other projects. So yeah, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. It was really nice talking to you. Likewise. I appreciate how open Jackson was about his experience filming in North Korea. It was definitely very interesting to find out about that. It was also very interesting to learn about the art of filmmaking and the beauty of marketing. I hope our conversation gave you a better understanding of filmmaking. See you next week. There's a simple reason why PhotographyCourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.